Cause it's a pain A destiny child You know it will be rocking Cause it's flipping insane It's just a pain A destiny child More precious than a diamond On a platinum chain In Venice Beach Dr. Maya Angelou said Hate It has caused a lot of problems in the world But has solved But has not solved one yet I messed up that quote but this is the take we're going with, because this is the pick. We're changing lanes. We're messing around. We're having fun. Um, and that's because we are going to be talking about changing lanes today. But first, I have to introduce who we are. We are Sean Lemmy. John Otney. And Colin Westman. And we usually start these things off by doing little picks. And, uh, and I want to get right into mine, because it's super emotional, and I don't want to cry. Guys, Steven Universe Future ended uh, a couple days ago when we recorded this. Uh, who knows when this will be released? Uh, in late March. <laughs> and uh, and I talked about Steven Universe on this podcast before, I think, because we did uh, the Steven Universe movie. Uh, it's one of my little picks. And uh, I think at that time, I was very confused about what was going on with the show. So let me tell you what is up with Steven Universe. I think at the end of their last season, uh, in the development of it, Cartoon Network told the series creator, Rebecca Sugar, that they were not planning on renewing it beyond that season. And she came back to them and pitched a movie as, um, I guess, a sort of epilogue to the series. And they liked that, and they agreed to make the movie on the condition that then they would then do an epilogue series uh, because they said the movie is an opportunity to promote the show. So weirdly, her show ending created an opportunity to make a movie and then 20 more episodes of the show. Um, I don't know why that was so hard to explain to people. Uh, because it's, it's all been very confusing as a viewer. Uh, and, and certainly that's been the Steven Universe experience of it just like randomly coming on and having a, f- a few episodes for a, w- a month and then disappearing again. Um, so I think now that it's all over, it'll be a much easier to enjoy series. And, uh, and I'm super grateful for them having the opportunity to make Steven Universe future because the back 10 or so episodes of this series were specifically about um, how the main character, Steven Universe, um, who is someone who always put other people and other people's problems uh, ahead of his own, uh, has to deal with the the effects of, of that of living that lifestyle for basically his entire life of, of never actually um, taking the time to look at his own deficiencies and his own problems and the tolls that his lifestyle takes on him uh, because he always puts other people. Uh, before himself and uh and those last few episodes were you know they're cringy they're sad uh ultimately they're adorable and inspiring i think it's uh, one of the most emotionally mature things i've ever seen uh which which i don't know if that's something that um the children that are the intended audience for the show will respond to as much as the adults that I think probably make up a bigger chunk of the show's audience. Um, but yeah, it's, um, it, the, you know, only, only really good shows leave you feeling like 
melancholy after you watch the the final episode and i was in like a crazy funk uh at the end of of steven universe future so i guess that means i really liked it or you know it just means that i'm living in 2020 where everything is bad all the time and <laughs> positive emotions have gone away but i i think steven universe in its entirety uh made a, a, a positive impact on my life is something i really liked and um and i'm happy to recommend it to people with this little pick I forget, did this make your top ten shows of the decade? Because you seem so about Stephen Universe. I don't think it did. Hmm. Maybe it did. Let me look. Let me look it up real quick. How much Stephen Universe is there? It's one of these things where I'm like, I'll get to it. But I've said that about Avatar Last Airbender, and I still haven't got to it. So, <laughs> But at least I've seen some episodes of Stephen Universe. And enjoyed it. Yeah, I like the fact that they have an episode with a little reference in the back to uh, Junji Ito. It's like okay, I got to see what else this show has to offer. Yeah, I would say there are a few Junji Ito references in Steven Universe. Yeah, in my animation category on my uh, top ten list of TV shows of the decade over at mildlyplease.com, I put uh, Legend of Korra as as my show. Mm-hmm. So Steven Universe was an honorable mention, and uh, yeah. I I also really really liked Legend of Korra, so I'm I'm okay with that. That's that's something where I'll never be totally happy with it. I mean, I, you have to make so many compromises making a best of the decade list. You, if if you if you sit down with a best of the decade list of ten things, you're like, that's a perfect list. I wouldn't change a thing. You're crazy, or you don't care. Yeah. Okay, I'll go. Uh, so, All right. So for my little pick, I went with a movie. Um, Stuart Gordon died recently. Do you guys know who that is? Sorry, I don't. I don't think so. He's a director from the 80s, mostly horror, though he did conceive Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, (laughs) and was supposed to direct it, um, though he had some medical issues at the time, so he couldn't. But he's probably best known for his Lovecraft adaptations, um, which were like very 80s 90s takes on lovecraft like super gory and over the top and reanimator is probably his best known movie so oh, i rewatched okay. reanimator that's my little pick um it's a movie from 1985 based off hp lovecraft's herbert west reanimator and it takes place at a medical school where there's this weird um new student or just like i don't know if he's a student as much as he's just like studying at the college and uh he creates a weird serum that looks like something from goosebumps that when you inject it into dead bodies, they basically come back like kind of like zombies, but they're like hella like fucked up, and it's really gross and violent. And there's a scene where a guy has his head like dis- um, removed from his body, and then he uses the head to go down on a woman, uh, <laughs> 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 which is one of the more memorable scenes in the movie. Um, I assure you, not the re- the rest of the movie is not that pervy. It's it's very it's, it reminds you a lot of Sam Raimi. It's got that kind of energy. Um, I think Stuart Gordon, if you could sum him up, is kind of like the the thinking man Sam Raimi, where he he do you a lot of quirky stuff like that, but he would base it off of great uh, classic literary works. He did a lot of Poe adaptations too. Um, he's a smart guy, and Raimi is just a lot of fun. I hadn't watched it since the night Obama got elected because I always put on a horror movie on election night because I'm always too nervous to watch. So every mm-hmm. election, there's always been a horror movie on in the background. 
Um, just to amp up your anxiety even more? Yeah. yeah. The, I'm just curious what, what your other election night movies were. Like I wish, 2016 I, and wish I can remember what the, the Obama-Romney one was, but I definitely remember the Trump one was I was watching that. Oh, it's a, it's a Guy Pierce Western oh, about cannibalism. What's that movie called? It's like a Civil War cannibal. I'm going to just Google Guy Pierce cannibalism. Um, what's that movie called? Ravenous. But now I think I just think back to that movie with just such negativity because it was a bad night for everyone. Um, yeah, I, I'm sure I can remember if I if I like look back what my uh, my Romney uh, Obama one was. I'm excited to see what my one would be this year. Maybe I can finally watch Bride of Reanimator. I've never seen any of the sequels. Hmm. But yeah, just over the top, gory fun. It's sad that Stuart Gordon. Um, left us when he did because it seems like he was always trying to get another movie made. Um, he hadn't made a movie since like 2007. He's got like a lot of good ones. He's got some like pretty goofy ones too. Of course, he made Robot Jocks. <laughs> and no way, he's that guy. Yeah, and he made you buried space... the lead on this one, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> and he made Space Truckers, which is a pretty silly movie. Yeah. Um, but like Reanimator's good. Um, From Beyond is a really good movie. He made. Dagon, a lot of Lovecraft stuff. Um, yeah, a lot of fun. Uh, so yeah, if you haven't heard of him, check out Reanimator. That's probably the best one to watch. It's his best movie. So that's my little pick. Well, except for Robot Jocks. Except for, I haven't seen Robot Jocks, so I don't really know. Fucking rolls. It's, like. it's like ten minutes long. It's, <laughs> it's sweet. Okay, I'm definitely gonna. Maybe that'll be a future pick. I'm trying to Google <laughs> Robot Jocks, but it keeps googling robot job are there robots looking for jobs oh yeah robot jocks they're taking our jobs but not fast enough apparently (laughs) sure robot jocks in its entirety was on youtube but it was like it was like 10 pixels tall it was so low quality (laughs) it was it was 10p (laughs) when did you watch it sean how long ago was this uh, well, the first time I watched it, we rented it from Blockbuster in the early 90s. Okay. Probably around when it was a relatively new release. <laughs> no, it came out in 1990, so not, not when it was brand new. Um, but then, yeah, it would have been like 2006. Like early YouTube was, was when I rediscovered it because uh, I thought I had made the movie up. And, and it was be- and it was because I remembered the title as Robo Jockeys. Which, oh wow! Uh, this has which, deep which, ties for you. Yeah, which I think John, you were the one who's like, "Well, there's a movie called Robot Jocks. Maybe that's what you're thinking of." <laughs> well, I can tell you, as of 2015, there's a Blu-ray. So, hmm. all right, another <laughs> on podcast purchase is about to be made. Robot <laughs> Jocks. It can be in his memory. Holy shit. It's on Amazon, but it's $65. <laughs> Dang. This seems like... Oh, I was going to say this seems like something that Shout Factory would have done, but they did do one, and it's out of print. God damn it. Out of print? It was only five years ago. But they came out with the Blu-ray. They only, I guess they didn't make that many. Yeah, I, I can't imagine there's that huge a demand for this movie <laughs> Sean I like this. I like this tagline: of... Two men, two machines, too wild. <laughs> it's a different kind of two. 
That's yeah. the, the the tagline I remember. I remember it because I use it in Gundam games. Is the ultimate killing machine is part man and part metal. Oh, that's really cool. Man. This looks like a pretty cool Blu-ray, too. It's got a lot of special features. Nice. John, please don't make me spend $65 to get... Is it really not? It must be available for digital rental somewhere, right? It's gotta be. In this day and age? Here, I'm looking that up. I can get the cassette on Amazon for $8. That's interesting. The cassette. (laughs) You don't have a VCR, though. I don't I'm have sure, a VCR. Sure I mean, I'm sure you can get both get of those one. things for under $65, right? A VCR and that tape, definitely. <laughs> I, uh, anyway, we're distracting from Colin's little pick. Colin, Sorry, what do you Colin. got for us? Well, I thought you might choose it as your pick, but since you didn't, I'll just do Animal Crossing New Horizons. Ah, the New Horizons. Yeah. Tell me about your town. My town is called Andu Island, based on an inside joke that wouldn't be enjoyable to anyone listening to this. But I live there, and uh, there's a koala lady that lives there, and there's this goat guy who lives there, but he's like super broy. He's just like always talking about how he's trying to work out. Like I. S- there are so many jocks in yeah. this game. I swear everyone has like one animal guy who's a jock. Like I have a gator who lives on mine and he's like always he's talking about working out and like his protein diet and stuff and he's so boring. But he's also my best friend on the island. <laughs> you don't have many choices when you're starting out. Has have any new animals moved to your island? Yeah. Um, so one of the first things you get to do is you get like this Nook Miles ticket from Tom Nook. Yep. Who I think everyone is given a bad rap, by the way. But I'll I'll get to that later. Okay. Um, and I I took that to this island, and there was a I want to say deer lady, some sort of herbivorous mammal. <laughs> Uh, and, and I talked to her and she moved to my town. And then since then, I've taken some measures to invite more people to town as well. But that was my first new person. Okay. Because I, I went ticket. to one of those islands and invited some, some people. So maybe they'll be, I don't know, heading my way soon. I, I have only yeah. been playing the game for like five days, but I'm enjoying it so far. Today was the day that they finally opened up the museum and I found it to be awe-inspiring. <laughs> The museum's so good. It's great. I mean, it's not really even a museum. It's like a aquarium and a, I don't know, like greenhouse <laughs> that has like a ton of bugs combined with like, yeah, a, a, a natural history museum where they have a bunch of fossils. It's it's beautiful. <laughs> did, you, did you go into the fossil room and find the globe with the like asteroid impact yeah that's so cool (laughs) (laughs) but anyways yeah i I bought a switch last week once i realized that i'd be spending a lot of time indoors and i kind of been wanting to buy one anyways just because i don't have a or i didn't have a video game console and i wanted to play animal crossing i remember liking the gamecube one a lot but that's like the only frame of reference I have since I feel like all the other ones have been handheld. 
And this feels kind of like the first, like, I don't know, big open world Animal Crossing game, but I don't know. I, I can't speak to the other ones. I guess I did play that phone one for a little while, but it didn't. Oh, yeah. Didn't really hold my interest for that long, but I feel like this one will, because I'm enjoying it so far. Yeah, so my thing with Tom Nook is that <laughs> Tom Nook in this game, at least, represents the absolute like best version of capitalism, <laughs> in that he will give you money to do whatever you want, and he will let you pay it back it, on your timeline with no interest. He will buy your garbage from you and give you money. He gives you points just for doing the things you want to do anyway that you can also use to pay him. Uh, And people are still like, this guy's such a fucking asshole, such a manipulator. I think it's just because he has so much power over everything (laughs) that happens in the game. And it's like, you can't trust someone (laughs) with that much control. But it's like, yeah, he doesn't really do anything bad with his power yeah he's a pretty fair dude i i think people that are having that reaction need to like wake up and be like what your problem isn't with tom nook it's with capitalism it's with this fundamental power dynamic that exists yeah i need to find a way to support bernie sanders right now (laughs) he's our tom nook except not really (laughs) yeah he's our anti-tom nook he's our isabel who you haven't met yet. You're going to meet Isabel. Ooh, Don't worry. Can't wait to meet more characters. <laughs> she's done that much. She's a dog. And also I have a dog house in my, like out in front of my house. That's weird. Now that I think about it. Yeah. Um, I was also thinking about how I have a bird feeder, but they're also <laughs> bird people in this game. <laughs> but you're just a human. Yeah. Or something. Sure. Uh, so let's change lanes and talk about the movie that I picked last week, very much on a whim, based on us having enjoyed watching the trailer for it. Uh, changing Lanes. It is a 2002 movie starring Ben Affleck and Samuel Jackson and directed by Roger. I'm going to go with Michelle. Have you guys seen his name? What do you think? Michel? Mitchell? There's no T, so it seems like it shouldn't be Mitchell. Hmm. I would go Mitchell. I guess I'd go Mitchell because there's two L's. All right. If there was one L, I'd be like, yeah, definitely Michelle. I'm looking at this guy's Wikipedia, and it has two marriages, and both of them are like, question mark? Like, they don't know when he got married. Like, why even <laughs> put that in there? But they definitely know when he got divorced to his from his first one. <laughs> Did he have famous wives? They both have Wikipedia, so I guess so. First one was an English actress, Kate Buffery. The second one um, was also an actress, Anna Maxwell Martin. But who knows when they got married? It's a total mystery. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, well, speaking of that Wikipedia, I read through that earlier. And here is the gist of what they have. Because let me tell you, not only can we not pronounce this guy's name, we I could not find much about him just in general on the internet. I'm basically just going off Wikipedia. I couldn't even find like fun uh, YouTube interviews with him talking about this movie. I think... Uh, there's some stuff with him talking about a more recent movie he made 
um, that's available because obviously he's still a uh, working director. Um, he's done some recent films like uh, uh, Hyde Park on Hudson. Remember that one? Yeah. It, People thought that was going to be a big Oscar movie, but it was not. Yeah. Uh, and Morning Glory was another one that he did. The, uh, like, I can't believe this movie got made in 2010 movie <laughs> about uh, TV news with Harrison Ford and Rachel McAdams. Um, but uh, it sounds like he really got to start in the theater. He was directing plays for the Royal Shakespeare Company and I can't say the C word because Alexa hears it (laughs) I don't know if you guys can hear that but she's saying something to me I did hear it Um, (laughs) but he got uh, his big uh, transition into uh, stuff on video with uh, an adaptation of the Buddha of Suburbia he made as a miniseries which I don't know if that's something other people have heard of, but I have because I did a David Bowie thing for the blog a few years ago. And David Bowie did the soundtrack for this miniseries. And then he used it as inspiration to put out a soundtrack album of songs entirely that weren't used in the Buddha of suburbia. Um, And really, that sets the template for most of uh, this guy's career. He does a lot of extremely British things, uh, up to and including a Richard Curtis movie you may have heard of called Notting Hill, which seems like an inevitable pick. Oh, absolutely. 1,000%. (laughs) It's going to happen. I'm shocked it hasn't already. Just you guys wait. I, I am vaguely fascinated by what kind of movies are inevitable picks i guess it's usually just movies we've all been sort of curious about that don't have like bad reputations or really good reputations it's just like what's going on with that movie yeah because the movie's like this was a thing but no one talks about it anymore yeah why was this a thing that's interesting i guess they are usually mildly pleasing movies that we want to see if they're secretly good but they're usually just fine. So we got that to look forward to. Um, yeah. So that that was 1999, you know, the year that all the best movies ever came out. Yes. And uh, and Changing Lanes was his follow up to that. And Weird follow up. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's to me it's interesting because not only is it uh, like his follow up to his first big Hollywood success, but it also is his first time not doing something extremely british and he went all the way into like badass americans trying to fuck up each other's lives like it's, it seems like a huge departure uh, and his career after that seems pretty scattershot he did a bunch of uh movies with daniel craig which led to him almost getting the job to direct quantum of solace i think he actually did get the job but um, they were trying to rush it into production uh, so they could hit a 2007 release date. And he refused to start making the movie without a script. Um, and so he got, uh, he got kicked off the project there. Um, and that actually brings me to another person I wanted to talk about. Uh, David Arnold, who does the music for this movie. Oh, okay. 
because he also did the music for a bunch of James Bond films. Uh, basically, everything from Tomorrow Never Dies through Quantum of Solace was a David Arnold soundtrack. Wow. He also did uh, some Roland Emmerich movies like Stargate, Independence Day, and Godzilla. Um, and and he's still working today. He's he, it sounds like his most famous stuff now is like British TV shows like uh, like Sherlock. He did the soundtrack to that. Good Omens, Little Britain, uh, the closing ceremony of the 2012 London Olympics, <laughs> and um. You guys know that I have a particular affinity for the the type of music that they have in this. I was going to say this is a total Sean score. Any movie that opens with like sped up footage that has that drum and bass kind of <laughs> yeah. techno, like this is total Sean score. I th- I just think it's so weird that there are so many songs that sound exactly the same, and they <laughs> they were so popular in this very brief period of like just the very late '90s to oh, the yeah. very early 2000s. I think it was just the Matrix effect. People were like, this is what cool action movies are. A little bit before, but yeah, too. Like, Sean, you gotta watch Danny Boyle's Shallow Grave, because it opens very similarly to this movie with, like, sped-up footage to, like, this kind of music. I think he'd be into it. Then you can turn it off. You just watch the opening credits. Uh, yeah, so I, I did enjoy the, the effect the score had on this movie. It was a good score. I like the score. Um... I also, not going to lie, I know it wasn't written for this movie, but they have the Annie Lennox cover of uh, Waiting in Vain over the end credits, mm, yeah. which I think is a bizarre choice, but I'm really digging that song. I've listened to it a few times since watching the movie. <laughs> um, the only other part of, uh, of background I wanted to get into before we, we start recapping, because nobody's seen this movie. This is like the one time I think it's really good that we do recaps on this podcast, because... We're probably the first people to ever talk about the plot of Changing Lanes on a podcast. I looked like everywhere, like using the keywords "Changing Lanes" for podcast. I couldn't find a single podcast to ever talk about this movie. <laughs> We're the first. Well, there um, must be like a Samuel L. Jackson podcast out there somewhere, or a Ben Affleck podcast, but I couldn't mm-hmm. find it. So here's here's what I found out about the screenwriters. There are there are two uh, two credited uh, writers. One of them is Chap Taylor, and who is Chap Taylor? I have no <laughs> fucking clue. He has one other writing credit, and it's for two episodes of The Blacklist. Remember that James Spader show from a few years ago? Yeah, of course. <laughs> no, no writing credits before this, and nothing after that. I don't know what his, he was a like a production assistant in the nineties. But he's like a he became like a consulting producer on the blacklist and wrote some episodes. So I don't know what his career is. Uh, he probably just had a lot of years of trying to get scripts made and didn't. I mean, it's probably hard if your most famous thing is this, which is a movie <laughs> no one remembers. Yeah, um, I'd like to know more, but I don't. The other writer is Michael Tolkien who is most famous for having written the book, The Player, and then adapting that into the movie, The Player. Mm. Do you guys remember The Player? Sure. Yeah, I've seen it. Don't remember it that well. It's got so many celebrities in it. It sure does. As is, for me, it's a Robert Altman movie with a bad-looking poster. That's all (laughs) I know about it. 
Certainly a very 90s poster. Where he's sitting on the, like, roll of film. Is that what I'm thinking of? Uh, yeah, that's a, there's a few variations on it, but yeah, that's yeah. one of them. Yeah, but it's like it's like shaped like a noose, though, right? I don't think I even noticed it as a roll of film. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's the whole thing. <laughs> well, okay, so it's not as bad as I thought. That's weird. The one on Wikipedia, he's like walking out of the poster. It looks very Pleasantville. It's like purple rose of Cairo. Yeah. <laughs> also, since we have to connect every single movie we talk about. I will bring up that Michael Tolkien wrote uh, The Haunting, the 90s one, directed by Jan de Bont, who's the cinematographer of The Hunt for Red October, which we talked about last <laughs> week. So connected. <laughs> it's a couple people to get there, but yeah. Uh, Michael Tolkien also wrote some episodes of Ray Donovan, um, and he co-created and co-wrote that miniseries Escape at Danamora. I wanted to see which that. Is one of those ones where a lot of us are like, I'd like to, I'll get around to that. It's because nobody has Showtime anymore. Yeah. <laughs> what's another you know, Showtime show that like you gotta see that show? Oh, well, it's Ray Donovan. Of oh course. yeah, it's Ray. <laughs> that is the show. Yeah, Ray Donovan. Uh, my dad recently told me that uh, <laughs> my uh, his uh, his stepmom wanted stars uh, on the iPad, which is like a shared account we have. So for that, I now have access to the Stars app for uh, for the foreseeable future. So I've got to find something to watch on Stars. Well, I've got I, it. I feel like but... all their shows are all like shows worth watching are over. Is Outlander still a thing? Okay, well that's that's the thing. Is my uh, she, the reason she wanted access to Stars is because she was catching up on Outlander Man. and the latest seasons only on the Stars. Some app. horny history. <laughs> That show is a lot weirder than I thought it was. Looking at um, just like recent episode synopses, it's not what I thought it was. I mean, I know it's horny and I know it's got time travel. I don't know much else about it. I've seen the first episode. It's okay. Okay. Um, so yeah, so that kind of sets the stage. I guess we could talk briefly about. Ben Affleck and Samuel Jackson's careers, okay. but they're they're pretty famous, right? People kind of know what was going on, right? In the in the they they won. Well, I mean, Ben Affleck won the Academy Award. Samuel Jackson had an Academy Award nomination. They're just kind of doing whatever, right? Yeah, I guess I feel like Ben Affleck's stardom is a little weird because, like, that was the most famous thing he was for at that point was winning that oscar like i guess armageddon was pretty big but he didn't really have like a breakout movie in the late 90s that was good i mean he's got all these movies that he starred in but i feel like whenever a i don't know a new movie star arrives they have some like iconic role in a movie that everybody loves but ben affleck was just a thing he was everywhere yeah, he eventually made some good movies, but it is kind of easy to see why a lot of people hated it <laughs> for a while. I guess he didn't really like. This was one of his first times being like a real leading man, too. Now that I look at like what he was doing, like Armageddon, he's not the leading man; he's a co-lead. Yeah, uh, you know, Dogma, he's one of the bad guys. 
Um, Shakespeare in Love, he's barely in it. I guess Pearl Harbor 2001 was a big one for him. When did Chasing Amy come out? That's good. Uh, Chasing yeah. Amy's 97, it's, it's 97, yeah. But. but yeah, it's not till around this time when we, we start seeing stuff like Daredevil and Geely and Paycheck. Some of all fears. <laughs> Some of all fears. Yep. A lot of movies I have not seen. And don't feel like I'm missing out on that much. You know, another one from exactly this period of Ben Affleck's career that I've been interested in is Boiler Room. Mm. I don't know about Boiler Room. Why are you it's interested like, in Boiler Room? It's like a Vin Diesel in it. I would assume <laughs> that's why you're interested uh, in it. Oh, yeah. That makes sense. Well, and it's like a, uh, it's like a Wall Street like satire, I think. And um, I think I think movies about stockbrokers. I don't know. I hate stockbrokers, but I kind of I'm kind of interested in movies about stockbrokers. I haven't seen that many. I've seen you know, yeah. I've seen Wall Street. I've seen The Big Short. It's not much. The Wolf of Wall Street. Basically, if it has Wall Street in the title, there's a chance I've seen it. <laughs> Wall Street money never sleeps. <laughs> uh, I've seen most of it. Yeah. Not all of it. Um, and yeah, Samuel L. Jackson. Yeah, he's this is the hardest working man in Hollywood. Busy boy. Everyone knows who he is, right? They know his deal. Yeah. He, I guess it's it's weird because I think he's kind of like Ben Affleck, where he's he'll be like on the poster, but he's not necessarily ever really the star of what he's in. Not usually like the sole star. He's usually like sharing the top billing with someone. Yeah, he's a great co-lead. He did have Shaft. Oh, that's feel like that. That was his big starring role. There you go, Shaft. It's hard to think of other ones though. It's usually like, you know, Die Hard of the Vengeance. It's him and someone else, or this. It's him and someone else, or a lot of the movies he's in. Specifically, him and a white guy. Him and a white guy. The Negotiator. Him and a white guy. SWAT, him and a white guy. Yeah. Long kiss, um, good night, him and a white lady. Yeah. And you know what? I believe Samuel Jackson has said the long kiss, good night is his favorite performance in his entire career. Wow. That is a good fucking movie. And I think I'm the only one who's seen that. Yeah, right? let's, uh, let's put it on the pick list. <laughs> Ooh, Rennie Harlan. What an interesting film. Isn't that him? Yeah. What an oh interesting my God. career. Let's just become blank check and do a Rennie Harlan. <laughs> oh god, that's so great because you get to start with Nightmare on Elm Street Four, which is actually like a lot of fun. Please, yeah. you guys. <laughs> it would be so fun. Um. So yeah, let's start talking about what happens in Changing Lanes, and let me tell you, the start of this movie is confusing to me because I'm not sure if it's the same day or like the day before. I thought the whole thing is it was one day. That was my takeaway. But it does seem like, because they're saying, like, you have until tomorrow with the, with um, I don't want to jump ahead, but, like, with the house that he's going to buy. But it seems like he has to get it all squared away today. So yeah. it does, it is a little confusing. 
they say that at the very beginning and if it is all just in like the very early morning it is starting out as the most productive day a person has ever had <laughs> i'm gonna go buy a house at 7 a.m <laughs> doyle doyle who's samuel jackson goes and makes his plan to buy the house he goes he's viewing the house and he's like i'm gonna get the mortgage uh, he goes to the bank and gets the mortgage approved. He goes to Alcoholics Anonymous. Oh, that's and- right. <laughs> Early morning alcoholics. <laughs> You're so least like likely to be drunk that time of day. Mm-hmm. Um, and he goes to work all before he has to go to court. Um, this must be the day before. <laughs> now that I think about it. I, I did assume also that it was all the same day, but I forgot about this <laughs> intro part. I think um, his uh, his speech at the Alcoholics uh, Anonymous uh, meeting is interesting. Uh, he, he, if you, if you guys don't remember, he's talking about like I am champagne. I feel bubbly and exciting. And it's like he's he's saying he doesn't want to drink, uh, but he I think he's saying he gets that feeling. He feels like he he did when he liked drinking or something like that. And um, and after he gives that speech, he meets with his sponsor, who is uh, William Hurt, uh, and he's like that's a pretty fucked up metaphor you're using for <laughs> feeling good. Um, which I think, I think clues us in early on that, uh, that Doyle is a recovering addict, but, um, but alcohol is maybe not the thing that he is addicted to, which they very literally come back to later. We also see what Gavin is up to, I guess on the day before it's the only way it makes sense <laughs> because if it's really early in the morning, this part is really weird. The first scene we see of Gavin, who's the Ben Affleck character, is that he's at like some sort of children's concert, mm-hmm. <laughs> but they're not playing music. He's like he's like doing a Q and A with them. <laughs> um, and, and basically, what they reveal is that they're they're in like uh, this like music hall that was donated by this rich dead guy. Um, whose granddaughter is there and super pissed at Gavin. Um, but, but all he talks about is how generous this man was. Uh, and he chases the woman out, and she's like, what the fuck's your problem, man? You're such a piece of shit. You changed, man. Um, and here's, and here's, here's the part where it seems confusing. Like, it is the same day, because then Gavin goes to his office in the next scene, which makes it seem like he just left that, because he's still in a huff about being... Uh, chewed out by this woman uh, and he and he goes and he whines uh, to to his co-worker Michelle uh, who is Tony Collette who's just in this <laughs> just, you just know Pro- providing support for this guy that doesn't deserve it really like her big speech is like I could leave but my job's easy and I get paid a lot and I don't have to do anything <laughs> Which I think sums up why she's in this role as well. Yeah. <laughs> um, he whines to her that, how, how come the, the granddaughter doesn't like me anymore? We used to be friends and yada, yada, yada. And she's like, whatever. Uh, um, and, then, uh, and so then he's got to go uh, to court. And uh, and we also see that the Doyle is buying a baseball glove, uh, which I like because that's such a like absentee dad gift to get. <laughs> like he probably doesn't have a baseball glove, right? It's 
probably not baseball season. He could use a baseball glove. Like it's it's either lazy writing or or like it's very on point writing about how uh, like self interested this character is that he doesn't like really know what his son wants. He just gets an extremely generic gift for him. You know what my favorite uh, deadbeat dad gift in a movie is is in Train to Busan. Sean, remember when he gets his daughter the Wii? Yeah, oh. she's already got one. There's she's a real good example one. how to do that scene. Yeah, it's like. She opens it up and points to it, and it's just like on the shelf. Oh, she doesn't even point. She just looks across the room, and then he looks to see that she's. Oh, it hurts so bad. That's yeah. That's that's great. I love that. That's not what this is at all. <laughs> uh, well, speaking of those little details, I love when uh, when Gavin goes into uh, the the heads of the firm's office. Um, so they're, they're named Stephen and Walter. Uh, but we'll probably just refer to them as Sidney Pollock and Richard Jenkins. And, um, and one, first of all, I love that Richard Jenkins just always is hanging out in Sidney Pollock's office. Like he's just... <laughs> they just got cushy firm jobs where they just tell everybody else to do their work for them. So they just get to hang out and get paid hella money. Yeah, That's what being like... a fucking <laughs> corrupt lawyer is all about. That's what it's all about. He's like eating a huge sandwich yeah. in his first scene. It looks, it looks like he's eating like two. It's, it, I think it's cut in half, but it looks like it's like two full sandwiches. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I love the detail that Sidney Pollock has, um, like pictures of his boat on on his desk because that's also like the most cliche rich guy thing. It's like they have a boat that they want to talk about, and they have pictures of it on display in their office. Yep. Um, so uh, Doyle and Gavin are on their way, both unknowingly on their way to the to the courthouse, and that is when the accident happens. And let me tell you, the way that this is shot makes it really hard to tell who did what <laughs> in this accident. Yeah. I think that's a deliberate choice. But did did you guys have any idea of who was at fault in this accident? I mean, no. not visually. Of course, they the way they interact because of it, it makes it sound like it's all Ben Affleck's fault. But I don't know. I I'm not sure if that's right. Yeah, I mean, I mean, they it's it's clear that they're both not paying attention when they're driving because uh, Samuel Jackson is uh, rehearsing his speech that he's gonna give in court, and I think uh, Ben Affleck's on the phone. Um, but the, they collide into each other and then into uh, into the uh, those like tubs of water that are that are there on the road in on in places where there are off ramps. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know what those are called. <laughs> I didn't know they were full of water until I until they crashed into them in The Matrix Reloaded and water flew everywhere. I was like, oh, I guess those are full of water. Are they for road fires or something? Is that a thing? I, th- I think it's to blunt the impact so you don't hit that corner of the off-ramp and the, the highway. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, but basically what happens is uh, they get out, they check that they're okay, uh, but Ben Affleck is in such a hurry, instead of getting out his information, um, he gets out his briefcase and tries to find his checkbook to write a blank check to... Uh, to Doyle, to Samuel Jackson, and uh, Samuel Jackson doesn't like that. He's like, "You got to stay. We got to do this the right way." Um, and 
and Ben Affleck's like, well, better luck next time. And he uh, he drives away because his car is still drivable, um, but Doyle's is not. Doyle's is totaled. Um, but unknowns to him, he dropped, uh, Ben Affleck dropped uh, the, the crucial file that he needs to prove his case. And Samuel Jackson picks it up. And he's got it now, but um, but now he's got to walk to the courthouse, and of course, on cue, just like that, it starts raining. This movie is pretty on on point with its emotional weather. Before we jump ahead too much, I just want to uh, talk about how frustrated I was when he handed him that blank check, and then he didn't want to just take it and then write some ridiculous amount of money in it. We could have had blank check too. I mean, I've never seen that movie. But I would love to see a sequel with Samuel L. Jackson doing whatever he wants. Missed opportunity. But I've got a lot of like other ideas for how this movie could have gone. We can talk about those later. Yeah. Um, so it's the it's the court scenes up next. So Ben Affleck obviously gets there first. He's able to uh, go into his case, but he's a little frazzled. And... Um, and he realizes that he doesn't have the crucial file he needs to prove his case. Basically, um, the the granddaughter we saw earlier is uh, alleging that uh, the firm that Ben Affleck works for had manipulated her grandfather before he died to take over his foundation and absorb it. Um, that, that Ben Affleck himself had uh, misled a confused, dying old man to, to sign away his legacy. Uh, that it was that it's not something he would have done, and and Ben Affleck just has to present the papers, uh, the original copy of that signature, uh, to prove his case. But by not having it, um, they would be opened up to this potential lawsuit, which would go really bad under scrutiny. Um, ben Affleck would probably be facing jail time for what he did. So. He needs that file. He doesn't have it. And so he covers by lying to the judge, saying that he had exchanged information with uh, with the person who he was in an accident with and that he would just have to call him to get the file back, which I thought was funny because he's cl- like he's clearly lying. Like the way Ben Affleck plays it, like it's like he's someone who's figuring out how to lie for the first time in real time. Um, and this is a seasoned lawyer who is the, a partner at a Wall Street firm. Like, I just, I can't believe that he couldn't, he, he's like, he's like guessing, you know, he, do, he like raises his voice like he's guessing at the end of sentences. Like, uh, I don't have the file. I just want to say real quick, I was talking to somebody about this movie and talking about this part. And they're like, this sounds like the plot to a comedy movie. Don't you think it kind of does? Like a, I guess I just go Jim Carrey because like liar liar, but like a movie where like, oh no, we switched our things. Oh no, I gotta get it back before the end of the day. Quirkiness ensues. But it's like not that at all. I don't know. This is something. Yeah, I want to get into this later. Uh, where like the, when it comes to genre, this movie had two choices to go in and it picked a middle lane instead of <laughs> instead of going either because i think you're right i think if we did a movie uh as a comedy right ben affleck would be our hero and this the samuel jackson character would be some like weird fucked up dude he's just tormenting this like otherwise good lawyer who's in this uh, unfortunate situation and i think the other way they could have gone with it right is they could have uh they could have done like a like a thriller where um, because of this accident, 
Ben Affleck is like, I've got to destroy Samuel Jackson's life because he embarrassed me in court. And, and he's like this ultimate powerful villain who's, you know, able to do anything because society doesn't give a fuck if you're rich. <laughs> and it chooses not to be either of those movies, which is kind of disappointing. Um, so Samuel Jackson, he also goes to, to his court, but, uh, appointment, but he's 20 minutes late because he had to walk and, uh, and he finds out that they had already done the divorce hearings without him and he doesn't get to give that speech he was working on. He doesn't get to tell his wife that he bought her a house. Uh, he only gets to give his son the baseball glove and he doesn't seem that impressed. It seems like the kids really hate Samuel (laughs) Jackson. Um, do you feel like we should have been given a little more of why they hated him? Like we know from later on like that he is kind of drawn to crazy situations, but like he seemed like he was making like a good effort. Like I never saw like moments where he was like, Oh God, I can't believe this guy. Like, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, that's an interesting choice the movie makes too, is they have this as he is an addict who is in recovery. They don't show us him as an alcoholic. Um, and so we just have to take it on everyone's word that he is, he has done all these bad things that he, that no one even specifically says what they are. I think it's, I think it's an appropriate choice for the tone of this movie. Um, but again, it's like, it's disappointing because you see the potential of the more fun versions of this story. You want to hear my idea for another more fun version of this movie? <laughs> sure. They get in a car accident and they switch bodies. <laughs> <laughs> and then like, I'm not sure where it comes from, there, but it just sounds good to me. So I guess Samuel, J- let's see, what's the more, uh, so I'm trying to think, Samuel Jackson's now in Ben Affleck's body. Is he trying to like win over his like wife as Ben Affleck now? That sounds pretty good. What do you think's the other angle of the story where hmm. Ben Affleck is in Samuel Jackson's body? What would he want? I don't know. Yeah, it's a little tougher. This needs a little more reworking. I think this, the better direction to go is just, I, I mentioned this on Discord, I was expecting, based off of the trailer, that this was going to be more like Lakeview Terrace, where it was going to escalate into like basically borderline thriller horror like an action movie where they're like basically trying to kill each other um and like i could totally imagine like ben affleck taking his kids hostage or something (laughs) (laughs) poisoning them i don't know going to their school with a gun (laughs) something fucked up so that's also a Samuel L. Jackson movie and also a movie that going into it you think race is probably going to be a big part of it and then it turns out it's like it's not really about race either it <laughs> sort of is Lakeview Terrace is I guess more but this this movie in particular has very little to say about race in America do you think it would have been more interesting had they uh, played up an angle that Ben Affleck has uh, life so much easier being a rich young white guy well, I think that's, I mean, the, the ending of this movie is just like, it's white savior porn. Uh, <laughs> I guess. I, I hate that. Uh, but we haven't gotten there yet. So uh, let's keep let's keep the plot going. So Doyle's pissed. He throws away the file. But 
uh, Gavin goes back to uh, his car and calls the office and they're like he calls Michelle and Michelle's like did you know it's Good Friday and he's driving by a church and he sees Doyle walking in front of the church and he's like praise God which is that part is weird I don't know why they threw this detail (laughs) I don't know Uh, (laughs) I wonder how close we are to Good Friday it's gotta be coming up right is that it's not this Friday is it I mean, it's either That's, this one or the one after. It's yeah, it's the tenth. It's next Friday. Almost topical. That's pretty close now. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Gavin spots Doyle, and he does that thing that people do in movies where they're driving next to somebody who's walking and they're talking. Which has anyone ever really <laughs> done that? It seems so dangerous. Uh, I don't think so. I mean, maybe I've been like, hey. <laughs> Having a conversation. Yeah, that seems like too much. I mean, yeah, you'd have to it'd make more sense just to stop your car and be and assume that the other person is gonna stop, but I guess in this situation, Doyle's just gonna keep walking. Yeah. Um, so Doyle actually goes to the he like rips Gavin out of the car and he's like, I don't want your money, I want my morning back. He's pissed. And Gavin's just like, I'm, I'm sorry. And, uh, and Doyle tells him that he threw the, f- the file away. So Gavin's like, oh, man, I'm fucked. Um, and, uh, and, of course, after that, we get the, uh, the bar scene, I think. Sounds right, yeah. yeah. Uh, so he goes to a bar and he orders a, a, a bourbon with a twist. And then he calls his sponsor and says, I ordered a drink, but I'm not drinking. And his sponsor's like, so don't drink, dick. A lot of tough love from, from his sponsor. <laughs> yeah. So on, according to IMDb, his name is Doyle's sponsor. <laughs> can even give Oscar winner William Hurt a, a character name. He really had a slide going from like, that's like my favorite thing about man to... Yeah, but that's... Hey, Doyle hey, he sponsor. was in Lost in Space in 1997, man. <laughs> yeah. Actually, that was like his last leading role. That was, that was what broke him. But I was just going to say, like, this reminds me of how, like, uh, Danny DeVito's on, like, the his name is on the billing of the poster of Mars Attacks, but his character's name is a rude gambler. <laughs> so, I... I don't know how literal the Alcoholics Anonymous like thing is. Like, do do sponsors never introduce themselves to each other, even though they exchange like contact information? No, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, they're just like a friend. I think. I guess there's only one way to find out. It it, it really seems like they they should they should know each other's names. I I noticed that the movie goes out of its way to not tell a sponsor's name because later on when sponsor. Uh, bails Doyle out of jail. Um, he's like, "Who bailed me out?" And the police officer's like, "Uh, a friend." <laughs> the, the movie wants to respect the anonymous part just as much as they the should. They should have had him credited as a friend. <laughs> um. So, uh, so Doyle decides not to not to drink. And uh, instead, uh, immediately picks a fight with the only other people in the bar, who are these advertising guys, 
we're talking about making a Tiger Woods themed ad and he replies with his like own version of it that I don't understand it's it's a weird rambling speech uh, that, that's maybe like the one scene in the movie where they are talking about race because because um, he, he, he does talk about like having a black father versus those guys having like fat white dads um, and I don't think it's supposed to really mean anything because the, the point is he's picking a fight with these guys because he, he can't drink and so that's that's his drug of choice is a battle um, and so he goes out and he calls his, his wife on the payphone uh, and tells her that he bought a house and he wants to talk to her uh, but then those ad ex uh, those ad guys come out and they want to fight so in a totally badass move Doyle rips the phone out of the payphone and just beats their faces yeah. in with it I don't know if they want to fight though it seems like they're more just like kind of harass i give a little bit but he like goes from one to a hundred in a second and starts wailing on him with the the telephone yeah i think that's fair i don't think they really throw a punch or or do anything they just walk up to him and he goes to town on him because i think this is the moment where you realize that oh like you watch the first part of the movie assuming that doyle's going to be the more sympathetic character but then you see that he's kind of a loose cannon and is prone to making bad decisions which is why he's alienated his ex-wife and kids totally and we see the reverse of that too where we think that ben affleck's this rich asshole um, but then they start pecking away at that by showing that he has these doubts so Mm -hmm. like there's a scene where he's talking to michelle uh about like how they're relationship their affair ended and he feels guilty about that and how uh he thinks it's kind of fucked up that uh that sydney pollock and richard jenkins sent him into court alone that they should have been there for him and he thinks that that's suspicious and he thinks that maybe something uh, something untoward is going on with this case and that uh he himself has kind of his doubts that he did the right thing in getting the uh, the rich guy to sign that paper originally but at the same time ben affleck's a pretty bad dude for going to that hacker guy to, played by dylan baker love to, that character yeah <laughs> I don't know, right i don't know if someone like that actually existed in that time period i guess i feel like if someone like did. that existed though that's exactly the kind of person they'd be it wouldn't be like someone cool they'd be like it's just some weird like middle-aged dude yeah I believe it. Yeah. Uh, I also think it's weird that he goes to Dylan Baker because of Tony Collette, because Mm-mm. I think Tony Collette is supposed to be the, like the good person at this firm, like his voice of conscience. And <laughs> then she's also the one who's like, by the way, I can I hook you up with a hacker who can totally fuck someone's life up and delete all his money. Why does she know that guy? She's not, she's supposed to be a good person, right? Well, wait, wait, what was it? She said that she he helped her at some point? That's right, yeah. So she was just in some unfortunate circumstance, that's all. <laughs> well, I had to totally ruin somebody. We've all been there. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes you just got to ruin someone. Um, so yeah, so, so Gavin hires uh, Dylan Baker to erase Doyle's credit and bank account 
online and i love that there's a part here right before he does the you've got mail big twirling enter key press uh <laughs> where that's what it is where uh where gavin stops stops dylan baker for a second and said is there any other way and dylan baker's like well yeah just call him up and be nice to him <laughs> and then gavin's like no do it press the button um and, and and yeah, I think I think the 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 point of the earlier scene where he goes back to the office is also setting up though that this is less about revenge for him and more about self preservation because he knows that if he can't get this file, uh, he he might be going to jail. Uh, <laughs> so after doing this move, he calls. <laughs> this part is so stupid. <laughs> Ben Affleck calls Doyle's office and leaves a voicemail. He's like, you, you fucking asshole. You can fuck with me. I've deleted all your shit. So if you don't give me the file back, your shit's going to stay deleted forever. You fucked. Give me, give me my file back. Please and thank you. Goodbye. And, and it's like, he's a lawyer. He knows you don't leave a voicemail threatening someone like that. I mean, he's a lawyer, but he shows that, like, people are playing him up to be this bigger lawyer than he is. He's just, like, a junior. He's an associate or whatever, like, you know? He's still learning. He's a partner. He's a partner. Oh, yeah, he's a partner. But he's still learning. But he might have married into being a partner because uh, we find out that uh, that Sidney Pollock is his father-in-law. Yeah. And uh, and he's given him his he's given him that prized boat that he has pictures <laughs> of because he's buying an even bigger boat for himself gonna have an even bigger picture <laughs> he's gonna step up to a, a scale model of the boat yeah i think we skipped did i mention that the 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 facts the facts happens at some point which i like that scene um i th- i think that it already happened but the but doyle faxes one of the pages from the file and it's like it says better luck next time on it and ben affleck is pissed but I like the context of that scene, which is he is—he t- has two candidates for a job. Uh, uh, he's hiring a new lawyer, and uh, and he's interviewing the first of them, who's the woman. There's a woman and a man, and from the get-go, you can tell he's more interested in hiring the man than the woman. And this woman is talking about her qualifications, and they're insane. <laughs> She's like, my dad is a is like a district attorney or a former judge or something, and I, I went to all these pre- prestigious schools. And I want to make the world a better place. I'm, I'm interested in this firm in particular because they do a lot of pro bono work. And that's the sort of thing I want to get involved in. I want to save lives. And he's totally just like not even thinking about her. <laughs> he's he, like not a single word she's saying is entering his brain. Um, which I know is because he's distracted because of the other situation he has going on. But the fact that we come back to this later and he hires the guy, it's just, it's... It's a real bummer to me that they include this detail of an extremely, extremely overqualified woman getting passed over by just a schlubby guy, just because that guy's the one who stuck around. So, um, so Gavin decides to figure out what's in that file. Uh, the, there's a okay, so there's a so he has the three files, and there's a fourth file uh, that has this like the business details of the foundation and he wants to see that file, but Sidney Pollock and Richard Jenkins won't let him see it. 
And instead, they're like, why don't you just forge a new copy of the missing file and take the signature from the living will and use that, and we'll just turn that in, and you don't even have to find the missing file. Um, but Ben Affleck doesn't like that, so Ben Affleck starts a fire in the break room, which turns the sprinklers on and forces everybody to leave the office, which also I think is like... It's such an obvious move because he does it like right after talking to Sidney Pollack and Richard Jenkins. It's like, <laughs> why, why? Why didn't anyone keep an eye on this guy? How did he get away with this? It's not a. He's not so. He's not sneaky or subtle. He's a bad liar. He's like. He seems like a terrible lawyer. Um, but Ben Affleck gets this additional file and he finds out that the the thing that. Sidney Pollock and Richard Jenkins don't want to get out is that they have taken each of them $1.5 million from the foundation for a total of $3 million they've taken from charity. Which, on one hand, yeah, it sounds really bad to steal $3 million from a charity, but also, when we're talking about a Wall Street firm, why why are these guys even taking risks for what must be a relatively low amount of money to them, right? Like three million dollars, one point five each. I, I would. These guys have got to be a lot rich. It seems so petty. I mean, did that stand? Did you guys not? Did that stand out to you guys? I, I didn't think about it. No, neither did I. But maybe it's just they've they've got a bunch of these kind of deals in place, and it's like you know. You, Three million here and three million there. It gets you (laughs) to where you want to be, getting that giant boat. (laughs) Um, It's always a bigger boat. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Okay, this is that makes sense. It's just what they do. So, uh, so Gavin's sitting outside now because everyone had to evacuate the building because the fire alarm he set off. And he talks to Michelle about what's going on. And a little kid on a bike rolls up. And he's like, open your hands. And he throws this shredded paper in his hands. And for a second, Gavin's like, Jesus Christ, it's the file. It's been shredded. But then he realizes it's some other paper. And it has a phone number on it. So he calls the phone number on his cell phone. And it's a payphone nearby where... Uh, Doyle tells him that uh, that he knows that he shut off his credit and bank account and he needs to have that stuff turned back on in the next half an hour uh, or the whole file will be destroyed. So Ben Affleck's immediately like, okay, no problem. I'll get your stuff back on and we'll, we'll meet at the courthouse in half an hour or whatever. Also, isn't there a scene where Samuel Jackson goes to the bank and the guy's like, oh, you don't got no money. <laughs> Sammy Jackson that, just yeah. like rips the computer monitor out and throws it on the floor. You're right. That that's the scene that directly follows this one. Yeah. Where uh, so so he he goes there. He goes to the bank under the context of um, he's got his credit turned back on, mm-hmm. and he thinks he's got his bank account turned back on too, uh, but he doesn't. So when he goes there. Uh, the guy's like, well, that's weird, but we've still got a problem, and it'll probably take like three months to get this all cleared up. And so Samuel Jackson is so pissed, and he's like, there's this guy, he's got some kind of computer voodoo. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and I think the best line in read in the movie is also, he says, I need this loan. I need it for my life. 
Hell yeah. Um, and, and yeah, like Colin said, he eventually gets super pissed and he picks up the guy's computer monitor and throws it against the wall. And then he gets escorted out of the, out of the building. That, that's the kind of scene that would be in the comedy version of the movie. <laughs> but it's also in this version for some reason, too. Um, so, in the meantime, Gavin has gone to a restaurant to meet his wife, Cynthia, played by Amanda Pete. And first of all, I hate that these scenes in movies and TV shows that are set in restaurants where nobody orders food <laughs> and they leave. Oh, it's so frustrating. <laughs> What's more frustrating, that they don't order food or they order food and then you don't get to see the food? That they don't order food is much more frustrating. Because for me, personally. one of like the top ten most disappointing don't not eating food scenes is in Road to Perdition when Daniel Craig orders fried chicken, and I'm like, that sounds good. And you don't get to even see it. <laughs> yeah, that would frustrate you. No, for me, it's it's scenes like this one where she's she's already there, and she doesn't have food yet, and um, and they both get up and leave without ordering food. So it's just, it was just in a, in a restaurant for convenience, but like they just wasted a table at this business. Um, and so what Amanda Pete wants to talk about is how she knows what's going on. She knows that Gavin had an affair with Michelle. She knows that he needs to get that document. He, uh, or since he can't get it, he needs to forge a new version of the document. And, uh, and she's okay with all of it because she's like, I, I wanted someone who's a cheater. And so it's okay to me that you cheat because that way we get to be rich. Which... I don't know how she ended up with this world. Like she's saying that, like it came from her mother. Like it was her mother's worldview. But, but Amanda Pete grew up rich in this, in this story. So I don't understand why she's all into like let's be bad guys, <laughs> and let's be in a loveless marriage or whatever, or whatever she's proposing. Like well, let's ha- let's have a marriage where I'm totally okay with you having affairs. Like I, I don't know what she gets out of it if she. She seems pretty covered. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. I'm not really sure. What does he bring to the relationship? <laughs> yeah, I mean, maybe it's maybe it is a, a twisted form of love where she's like, "I married a bad guy, and you're acting like not a bad guy, and I need you to be a bad guy." Um. <laughs> So Doyle calls up Gavin and he's like, well, you turned my stuff back on. So let's meet uh, at the courthouse. And so Gavin drives to the courthouse. But on the way, a cab passes him and Samuel Jackson's in the back seat. (laughs) Another great comedy scene. (laughs) And this part seems really fucked up to me because um, he he reveals that he's uh, he's unscrewed one of the wheels, the the, the driver's side front wheel of of Ben Affleck's car, and like immediately after they pass uh, they pass him in the taxi, that wheel pops off, and he gets into a horrible accident. Uh, he walks he walks away from it relatively unscathed, but his car is like spinning. It's changing all sorts of lanes. It smashes yeah, into multiple yeah, it walls. 
Um, but this cab driver, like, we saw Samuel Jackson tell him, like, follow that car. So, like, this cabbie was just, like, in on it. He was just cool with this plan of, <laughs> like, we're going to pass this guy right as his wheel's about to pop off and then not help him when he gets an accident. That's a, that's a, that's a bad cabbie. Or maybe a really good cabbie. Yeah. Ask no questions. Just do your job. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the motto of cab drivers. Ask no questions. <laughs> just just go wherever you want to go, and hopefully that'll be the place they want to be. Everyone knows cab drivers are infamous for being quiet. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and uh, and not only did this like was this timed perfectly. Uh, but even the location is perfect because uh, the nearest off-ramp that that, uh, that Gavin has to walk down now that his car is totaled is the same one that Doyle's car is still abandoned at. So he walks by Doyle's car and he's like, how did I let it get to this? Um, and so Doyle is taking the cab, I guess, to his this house that he's trying to buy where he meets his uh, ex-wife. Uh, and and she's like, this is a pretty cool house, but I want to move to Portland to find a guy who's like you, but better. <laughs> and Doyle's like, yeah, I get it. Why are they always have to be so goddamn vague about everything? Like, what? I don't. I just need to know what was so bad about. It. I know that he was a drunk, but that like that's still not enough. I need to find a guy like what you used to be like. Well, what did he used to be like? Because all we see is a guy who's really trying to put his life together. We don't really see much of a fuck-up. Even if he's attracted to chaos or whatever, <laughs> I still don't really see a very good example of that. I don't know. Well, I, I think I think taking off Ben Affleck's wheels is a pretty good indicator that he escalates situation. And he starts to fight in the bar. I, I, I definitely think the movie makes a good case that he, he is addicted to uh, to chaos. Do you think he's gotten into a similar situation before? Like this is it? Like this is like a regular day for him. <laughs> he has he has a changing lanes kind of day every day. When when the wife visits him in jail, he tell she says I she says she believes his story. So I think this this sort of thing does happen to him fairly often because <laughs> she's there's no doubt that all everything he's describing is is true to her, and she says stuff like this happens to nobody except for you. And to me, when I'm around you. Uh, meanwhile, Gavin goes to confession for some reason, just to get a little more Christianity in this movie. <laughs> this conversation goes nowhere. He's just like, sometimes God just wants people to fight it out. Yeah, this. I feel like this could be like a really good scene, but then it isn't. Yeah. Because like, there are no scenes out there. Like, oh, what's this conversation going to be? <laughs> and who's playing the the priest? Is this someone I'm supposed to know? No, no, it's not. No, no, just some guy. Just some guy. So, uh, after that visit to confession mm-hmm. changes nothing, Gavin instead resolves to get revenge by going to Doyle's kid's school and telling the I don't know principal or whatever that uh that he's coming and he's dangerous he speaks in weird vague terms like that and also i don't know what his cover story is that they would even hear him out that he has any authority over uh what doyle's up to 
but he follows up this move by calling, I guess, Doyle's work and telling them that uh, something's happened to, there's been an accident and that he needs to come and pick up the kids. I'm not buying um, this dangerous thing. Ben Affleck seems so insane when he's in that office <laughs> telling him he's coming, he's dangerous. Like, who are you? Like, you're not yeah. related to these kids. It just seems like such a lie. <laughs> he's such a bad liar. It's the recurring theme of the movie is that he's not a good liar. Uh, but I love the detail that uh, because uh, his work can't call a payphone that Doyle's walking by, he has to get this message as a page. He has a beeper. <laughs> still, still a thing in 2002. Not everybody has cell And this is, a, I think here's another scene that indicates the, uh, the addiction to chaos. Uh, is that Doyle goes to the school... And the front office people are like, look, everything's fine. We didn't call you. This was some sort of mistake. You need to leave. And he's like, uh, okay. And then he starts running down the hall calling for his kids. Um, like, I don't know what he think is, is, is going on. What's going through his head at this point when he's like, I'm going to make a huge scene just to make sure that my kids are okay like this. In his, uh, in his head, this is becoming the Lakeview kind of terrorist movie that we all thought it, it could have been. <laughs> He still thinks that that's possible, but it's not. Uh, um, so he gets tackled and brought to jail. Um, that's where the, the wife visits him and says the thing about these are the things that only happen to you. Um, and she says, well, you're never going to see us or the kids again. And um, as uh, as uh, as they're leaving, I think Gavin sees the wife and kids, and he's like, he feels guilty about it, you know. He's like, I wanted to get this guy, but I didn't want to fuck up this family, you know. Um, so he goes to Doyle's bank, and he's like, can I work something out? And we don't know exactly what that is yet, but it sounds like he's like either trying... I think he's trying to just like cover whatever fees... Doyle can't pay because his credit's fucked up. I don't think he's outright buying the house for him, but maybe he is. Um, and then Ben Affleck goes back to his office, and that, that's where he interviews the other candidate uh, for this job, who is um, Kevin Sussman, you know, from like the Big Bang Theory. Who? The guy looks familiar. I, I just wasn't sure why. Is that a character or an actor that you just named? That's the actor's mm-hmm. name. Ah, yes. Kevin Sussman. Screen legend Kevin Sussman. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know who you're talking about. <laughs> he is in AI. As a nerd. Oh, okay. He's got a lot of range. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, he's just like, yeah, I like the law. <laughs> and Ben Affleck's like, you know what? I'm going to hire you because you're such an idealist. And this job's going to break you in like five seconds. It's going to be fucking great. And I'm going to be there to watch. It's, it's dumb. <laughs> um, and then, in a weird twist, he decides to write a... 
a, a confession about uh, about manipulating the rich guy, and he's going to turn that into the judge and take the fall himself. He's not going to implicate Stephen and Walter, uh, the the two partners. He's just going to say that he did some bad shit and he wants to he wants to be punished for it. And he takes that letter to Sidney Pollock, and Sidney Pollock's like, the fuck are you doing this for? We already forged the documents and sent it in in your name. It's pretty, pretty villainous. Also, I think a ridiculous risk that they're taking that they really don't need to. <laughs> Again, their only, their only exposure, their only, the only thing they did that's probably not even illegal is taking a total of $3 million from this charity. That's... That can't be worse than forging a document, or or the stuff that that Ben Affleck is supposed to be accused of. It just seems like a terrible legal strategy to me. He's just but, he's got to get that boat, man. There's always eye, a bigger boat. His eyes are on the prize. Um, so uh, Ben Affleck goes to his office and he puts his hands on his face. And the camera does this weird thing where it zooms in to the back of Ben Affleck's head until that's all you can see. And it pulls back out and the file's there. And so Samuel Jackson... Uh, so I guess he like fell asleep and Samuel Jackson made it there. It's just... It's a, it's a, it's a bizarrely stylish thing to do at this point in the movie. I, I didn't, It stood out to me as a weird move just to show it like that. Um, and this is for me. I wasn't. I was like kind of on board with what this movie was doing up until this point, where I was like realizing like this is kind of the thesis of the movie. Um. So. So Ben Affleck like looks at his dumb painting of the beach that he has covering like the whole back wall of his office, and um. He says this whole, this rambling story of like, imagine going to the beach and there's a pretty girl and you're telling her to go in the water with you, but you're you're too scared to ask her. And so you don't. And then you're always going to wonder about why didn't I ask that girl to go into the beach or go into the water with me at the beach. And it's just like, what the fuck is he talking about? <laughs> he's, he's talking about like the life that could have been, I guess. Uh, but I don't like. I don't know what the missed opportunity was because he's at this point he's broken, right? He doesn't. He he feels bad. He feels like he was in the wrong and he wanted to go to jail and said he got away with it. So is that is that his fantasy at this point? Like, wouldn't it have been great if I got caught? Yeah. <sighs> I mean, maybe he's talking about like actually doing the right thing when he first got in the accident with. Samuel Jackson? Mm. No. All the way back yeah. then. Um, but at, the, at this point, um, you know, we mentioned it earlier, he, uh, Doyle's been chewed out by his sponsor uh, who bailed him out of jail. And he's just like, he has like no more agency in the movie. He turns the file in and, he, and Ben Affleck says his whole spiel and then he talks about how he's rich and he's going to go do rich guy things like go to a fancy restaurant for dinner and then go on his boat this weekend and then go back to work on Monday. And Samuel Jackson's like, yeah, okay. <laughs> he just gets up and leaves. Um, 
and that might be like the last time he even talks in the movie um so then we get the gavin uh white savior narrative where first he goes to that dinner with his wife and her parents who again that's Cindy pollock uh and uh and he drops the file on the table and he's like check this shit out i'm gonna use this to blackmail you forever because i'm a good guy now <laughs> And uh, he's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do pro bono work from now on from the office. And I'm going uh, to take Doyle's case. And I'm going to make sure he gets that house first. And I, and I don't even know what the case is there. Because like, it seemed like earlier he had resolved all the issues with him getting the house. So is, that the, is he relitigating the divorce? Because that also doesn't seem like something he needs to do, given what happens in the next scene. Uh, but... Yeah, good for him. He's the good guy now. And his and his wife's like, I can't believe you're acting like this. And he's like, You told me to like take it to the edge. This is the edge. Can you live with it? You know. <laughs> so fucking stupid. Although I do love that he uh, he ends his speech with I haven't had a fucking thing to eat all day and I'm starving. Because yeah, if it has been one day, these guys never took a break <laughs> to eat. It's also funny because I guess it can't be that late if it's just like dinner time. It's like 6 p.m. or whatever. Yeah. 8 p.m. Whatever rich people eat. Um, and then uh, Gavin goes to Doyle's wife's house. And uh, he's like, I just need to talk to you. And the last scene is Doyle exiting somewhere. I don't know. Coming out of a building the next day. And across the street he sees his... Uh, his wife and kids and they're staring at him and you know he, he thought he wasn't going to see them again for a long time but there they are so he is happy i guess but the movie ends on that and it just it, it bums me out what did you guys think of the ending what do you mean it bums you out and what way does it bum you out it bums me out that i think the Samuel Jackson character was the better written character throughout most of the movie. And I think his is a more interesting arc in that he's dealing with his uh, tendencies to escalate situations instead of de-escalating them. Whereas I think uh, Ben Affleck's character doesn't necessarily have that tendency. He's just someone who's spiraling out of control. I think you could even map his story arc to like the, uh, the, the stages of grief, which I know is a very like, cliche thing to do, um, but but Doyle is is interesting because he's you know he's an addict, but he's in recovery. He he's got rage problems. He has a more interesting supporting cast. Like I, I like William Hurt's character better than anyone else in the movie. Um, but in the end, he's just like, I'm sorry that this happened. And then he doesn't get to do anything. He doesn't get to make any changes himself. He, it's it's all Ben Affleck. Would have been a better movie if Ben Affleck had been killed. <laughs> like like he changes lanes again, but this time he's where like Samuel Jackson was. But there's no water barrels this time. <laughs> it just gets destroyed. I mean. It would be a more complicated ending. Yeah, I just don't. Yeah, what is the moral that if he like tries to be good at the end, but then just, he dies? I mean, anyways. I don't know. But don't, wouldn't you rather see that? Kind of. Yeah, I want to see that too. 
I feel like for a movie called Changing Lanes, the car accident was a little underwhelming. I know that's not. I know it's not what it's all about. I was reading this great review on IMDb from like someone who like maybe English is their second language, <laughs> and they're talking about how like this is like disappointing. Like fans of he's this person says fans of car chase sequences and the like will be extremely disappointed. That is, that is true. <laughs> The name of this review is I'm definitely changing lane exclamation point. <laughs> I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. <laughs> I don't know what it means. That, yeah. There's a lot of typos in this review from 2006, but it's the main review when you look it up on IMDb. Yeah, you just got to get there first, just like we're getting there first. The sometimes it's and sometimes it's getting there first, but then sometimes like it's all about who gets like the most upvotes. I once had a review that was on the main page for a movie, mm. my finest hour. Yeah. But it it, I, it it alternates; it's not always the same. Oh, what movie was it? Uh, you guys wouldn't know. It's called Tex Montana Will Survive. That's why I reviewed it. So like, no one's seen this. <laughs> it's got like ten reviews, and one of them is mine. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, I think we've talked about how this movie was not the one we were expecting it to be. Uh, it's it's very decidedly non-Hollywood, and it tries to be a mature take on rage and problem-solving. Um, and I, I think mostly I like that. I, besides the ending, I think I, I do like this movie. Where did you, where did you guys land? With what the movie is, not with what it could have been. Uh, it's fine. Like, I think it has an interesting message. I think Samuel Jackson's really good in this movie. I really like his performance. Mm-hmm. And I think Ben Affleck's good at playing assholes, so I think he actually does a good job, too. <laughs> um, but every time I'm like, oh, if they just amped it up a little more, though. <laughs> so that's why I think it's just fine. It's not particularly that cinematic to me. Like I, I kept thinking, like I bet there's a way you could rework this somehow and almost make it a play, and it'd work better. Maybe I don't know. It's, it's yeah. tough because there's a lot of moving around the city, but I don't know. That does line up with uh, with Roger Michelle's background of theater. Maybe that's why I like the script. Maybe it'd be like super minimalist play where like. There's just two actors, and then like to represent the cars, they just sit in a random ch- like desk chair. Like, oh, but there's like a lot of sound effects. Uh, have I showed you guys the videos of the the Gundam stage play? <laughs> uh, no. Is it like that? Is it minimalist? I mean, it has to be right because they're like supposed to be like 40 meter tall robots. <laughs> so the way the way they do it is they have actors sitting in these chairs that have like sort of frames around them that are it's like supposed to stand in for the cockpit and then they have you know guys in all black like moving those chairs around for them like piloting (laughs) but then the best thing is because they they have to fight in their giant robots the way they do that is these guys who are in these you know quote-unquote cockpits that are they're just chairs being dragged across the stage um, will get will be driven towards each other like jousters, and they have swords. <laughs> and they'll fight with their swords in their chairs uh, to represent these Gundam fights. It's great. It looks it looks wonderful. Nice. And it's only in Japan though, so I can't go see it. Just have to put on a production yourself. 
What did you think, Colin? I can tell you Roger Ebert loved this movie, gave it four stars, uh, <laughs> called it a moving character study and one of the best films of the year. I feel like he also gave four stars to Lakeview Terrace. This is just his <laughs> kind of vibe. I think I feel about the same way as you guys did where, yeah, as what it is, I'm fine with it. I think I respect that it doesn't go too over the top with the campiness, but at the same time, I'm like, eh, maybe it would have been a little more fun if it was a more straightforward thriller. But like the character, character dynamic is done pretty well and the performances are good i think you got at the fact that i don't know maybe the resolution like in the third act could have been more satisfying instead it's just okay and the movie kind of just ends up being (laughs) fine because of that Okay, well, I think that's that's probably enough on changing lanes, but we have to do our little wait, segment, wait. so... Yeah, yeah, that's what you're doing, sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> um, so I think usually I do Sean's goofs first, now that I've stolen the segment from John. <laughs> John's, John's got enough segments, he's, he's doing fine. Um, so the, the two that I found that I thought were kind of interesting were um, the movie goes out of its way to unnecessarily point out that it's Good Friday, and as this goofer on IMDb noted, on Good Friday in New York City, banks would be closed at 3 p.m. Mm. And one of the characters stresses he has to be at the bank by 5 p.m. <laughs> so that's two hours after it would have been closed. Um, and the other one that I liked was they point out that the, the candidate that Gavin interviews at the end of the movie, Kevin Sussman, uh, is still in the building long after he had set off the sprinkler system. He is wearing the same suit, though, which should have been soaked from the water. I don't. Yeah, the 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 way it's it's shown in the movie, it does make it seem like he's just been sitting there waiting the entire time, which doesn't make sense because they evacuated the entire building. I don't know why he would even be let back in. <laughs> that would have been a funny touch, though, if he was like like his, sh- his suit was all crinkly and like half dried. <laughs> Oh, Kevin Sussman. Yeah. <laughs> Shenanigans will you get into next? Uh, well, I don't have any segments for this. This, uh, this isn't going to have like a villain's wiki page. Yeah, I guess they're they're too complicated. Uh, I did find one small fun fact that I like. This is the John's yeah. fun facts corner. <laughs> Hit me with your best fact! Okay, um, do you know that this movie was nominated both for an AARP Movies for Grownups Award and a Teen Choice Award? Samuel wow. Jackson was nominated for Best Actor for the Movies for Grownups Best Actor category, and Ben Affleck was nominated for the Teen Choice Award for, uh, for Actor. Isn't that funny? The Old People Awards nominate Samuel Jackson, the Young People Awards nominate Ben Affleck for the same movie. It's pretty worrisome that we all preferred the performance of the old guy, though. I think what just goes to show that Ben Affleck at this point in his career was really just... I mean, obviously he had an Oscar for screenwriting, but he was really more of just a teen heartthrob, you know? This is kind of before he was really a respected actor. I don't know if he ever got there. (laughs) Still trying. But at least, like, later on he had maybe some more works that are a little more respected, like The Town and, I guess, Argo... Uh, you know, stuff we've actually seen. Mm-hmm. But I thought that was really funny. 
Teen's Choice Awards. Ooh, I love changing lanes. <laughs> cool kid. Yeah. It's, it's like, did they even see the movie? They're just, well, they would have nominated whatever Ben Affleck movie had come out that year. I think I also read that Ben Affleck was doing um, Pearl Harbor at around the same time. He'd like go back mm. and forth between shooting the two movies. That's weird. That is weird to go from like this epic period piece to this contemporary dramatic thriller. Very different movie. God, Pearl Harbor's so bad. That's a movie I never <laughs> want to watch ever again. Like I thought it would be fun bad when I watch it, but no, it's just bad bad. Though I will say Alec Baldwin is super funny in that movie because he has the, he's like a drill like you know some like sergeant or something. He has the most stereotypical lines. It's pretty funny, but yeah, that movie fucking sucks. This is way better than that. <laughs> That's my takeaway. This is way better than Pearl Harbor. Uh, you know, <laughs> could do worse. Well, I guess that does uh, wrap up Changing Lanes. The final thing we have to do is prognosticate. So that's not right. We're not going to guess what Colin's going to pick. We're just going to ask Colin, what's your, what's your, what's your pick, Is it Robot man? Jocks? Sean, Robot Jocks is on Netflix. It's just on it's Netflix? Just on you Netflix. don't have to work for yeah. it? Oh, my God. Let's hope it stays on there. <laughs> uh, yeah, sorry. I don't know if I can pick robot choice no no that's <laughs> yeah i mean sean's gotta go deep sean, on it sean st- still somehow managed to fit in a conversation about gundams on a changing <laughs> world yeah okay so my pick is one i couldn't help but think of while watching this movie because it came out around the same time it's also a thriller set in new york city uh, that I've never seen. I just checked on Letterbox. It looks like Sean's seen it, though. Uh, it is Phone Booth. Oh, oh, whoa, 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 yes. I have not seen this either, but I've always wanted to because this is a Larry Cohen script. Yeah. And I can tell you guys all about Larry Cohen. Yeah, it's, it seemed very much up your alley because of that. And also, I feel like you've seen a lot of Joel Schumacher movies as well. Uh, yeah, we're definitely gonna watch Lost Boys at some point. Yeah, Ooh, Lost Boys is so good. Oh, our flat flatliners. <laughs> Hell yeah, Joel Schumacher. I'm like, I'm like a big fan of Joel Schumacher. Aside from, actually, no, scratch that. His bad movies are hilarious. They're they're just great. They're high king. Falling down. Oh my god, he's great. When did you see this movie? I saw movie in theaters. In theaters. In the theater. <laughs> nice. <laughs> All right, so it it will not be fresh in your mind. No, that's nice. But I I know I know what happens. Yeah. I like how this movie was made like during the last era where you could have made a movie <laughs> set <laughs> in a phone booth for the entire duration. So we've made a podcast now that's, I think, longer than Changing Lanes and Phone Booth. So hopefully you enjoyed listening to that. If you want to listen to some other things like this, uh, head on over to MildlyPleased.com or just search for uh, Mildly Pleased on uh, iTunes or whatever podcasting you use. And you'll find plenty of things that we've made before. Uh, Until next time, that's it. Keep your eye on the road. (laughs) 